Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunded campaign success and better physical product businesses. I'm your host, Matt Ward, and each week I interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert designed to help you take your startup to the next level. If you're interested in learning what we're all about and kickstarting your own crowdfunding campaign, check out artofthekickstart.com slash checklist. You'll get our entire guide to crush your campaign and take your business to new heights. But now, let's get on with the show. Guys, before we jump into the interview, I want to thank today's show sponsor, eFulfillmentService.com, the company that's helping crowdfunders everywhere. Hey guys, welcome back to Art of the Kickstart. Let's get started. So today, it's been a little while since we've had interviews, and you know what? Crowdfunding kicks ass. But we've covered a lot on Art of the Kickstart, so I think it's important to look at what happens after your Kickstarter campaign. What happens once you hit that golden ticket on Indiegogo? Where you go next? Because I think this is where a lot of inventors and entrepreneurs struggle. You've got an incredible idea. You spend months, if not years, getting it ready, maybe even patents, prepping for a crowdfunding campaign. And you finally fund and you're like, yes, we've made it. And the truth is the journey just begins there. The goal isn't to fund, it's to build a real business, at least for most people. And building a real business is where a lot of the challenge comes in. It can take away some of the fun of invention, where you might want to look at licensing or selling off your product. Or it can create a new challenge where you're growing something that you personally conceived, like, How cool is that? I came up with an idea. I decided to work on it, build it, bring it to the world. I'm going to build a business around it. I'm going to help other people get to experience and enjoy my product. How cool is that? Seeing your stuff on Walmart shelves or looking in e-commerce stores and noticing people selling your stuff. That's a major ego boost. Let's face it. Plus, let's get a little cash boost too. Let's build a business, okay? That's what we're talking about today. Post Kickstarter business success. And there's a lot of different ways that you can go about this. There's even more that you can find out on the site and all other great places. But I think it's important to cover the basics so you have a little bit of an idea of what to expect. So after your campaign funds, I hope you've already got an idea where your business is going to be going. If not, listen to this episode or listen ahead of time. Either way, just think about it because your goals and dreams, basically that's where you're going to take the business. That's the direction. There's no right or wrong answer. It's more or less what you want. There's a lot of different ways that people go about growing a business, be it through a a crowdfunded product, a private label product, whatever you end up selling. The first thing that I think is definitely the most important to cover is e-commerce, because that's the easiest. Let's face it. You've just sold something on Kickstarter, and now you're going to open up your own e-commerce store. You're going to start selling it on your own site. That's the most straightforward, the most basic. You, you can open up a Shopify store pretty easily, drive traffic to your site with Google AdWords, product listing ads, all different kinds of ad, ad, uh, ad networks and Facebook, social media, all of that good stuff that you hear people talking about when they want to grow their business. Most of them are talking about their e-commerce store. So you can have an exclusive store where you're just selling your new bike watch accessory Kickstarter extraordinaire. Or you can try to have a bit of a larger store where you're selling related products as well, just to bring in a little bit more revenue. Because let's face it, if you're only selling your own product, it can be challenging to grow and expand in terms of getting enough people interested to buy. It's also a challenge of getting buyers. You're essentially 
You're putting up a billboard for your product, but you need people to be seeing that billboard. You need people to be able to buy. And that's the challenge of starting your own e-commerce store is it's harder to get users. It's typically going to be a little bit more expensive to acquire a customer. But the margins are going to be nice because let's face it, there is no middleman. You are literally the entire transaction. So all of that bank or all of that money going straight to your bank account. And that's a, that's a pretty cool situation. But it can be a little bit intimidating for people getting started. It can be a bit slow with acquiring, acquiring customers, getting them on board, getting them onto your, your platform. If you use SEO, if you want to advertise, however you're getting customers, all that takes time. So uh, a spinoff of e-commerce or of starting your own store, which I personally, I would very much advocate. I'm, I'm very involved in this at this point would be using Amazon or a proven platform similar to Amazon. So Amazon is, is a buyer search engine. People go there to buy things. They want to buy a can opener, a garlic press, a pair of toe socks. They know what they're looking for and they are willing to buy. There's something like 240 million people with registered Amazon accounts that have their credit cards on file. All they need to do is hit add to cart and suddenly they can buy your stuff. So fulfillment by Amazon is something that I think is very powerful. This is where you're selling on Amazon's platform and using their warehouses and fulfillment and shipping to more or less handle all the logistics. This is how I'm running one of my current businesses now, and it's going very well. I've actually started a new podcast related to, related to, we'll call it the art of Amazon selling. That's not what it's actually called. It's FBA All-Stars. So FBAAllStars.com if you guys are interested in checking that out. And that basically walks through the strategies and tactics of selling your products on Amazon, whether you invent them yourself, whether you're looking at sourcing them from China. However you decide to do it, Amazon can be a great platform to get started just because the buyers are there, the traffic's there, and they have a very strong built-in PPC network where you can easily track where customers are coming from and how much it costs. There are some trade-offs, though. So by building on a platform like Amazon or like eBay, you're playing in someone else's playground, i.e. they can take that away from you at any time. And that's kind of scary proposition. When you have your own e-commerce store, you've got your own email list, email marketing, you're building up a safety net where the only thing that can happen is Google shuts you off or somebody else shuts you off along those lines. But when you're legitimately built upon, upon sand of the Amazon play box, they can, they can just remove your account for any time. They can change the rules and all of these things can drastically affect your business. I would personally recommend if I was going to go the e-commerce route, I would start my store on Amazon because it has the built-in traffic and you can start selling significantly higher volumes much, much faster, assuming you have a popular product. I would start the store on Amazon and then start to start to segue that over to my own e-commerce store. So you can have both two different two different platforms, two different channels to protect your business, diversify and have different streams of income coming in. Again, if you want to learn more about Amazon and how you can more or less outsource that to them and have them sell your product, fbaallstars.com. Yeah, there's double A's in there. It's like the batteries. And the next method that I think is definitely worth considering for post-Kickstarters, post-Indiegogo creators, would be going to retail and going to retail. That is like that. That's like the epitome of what people think about when they think of creating my own product. Those are like the the made-for-TV products. You see, I guess that would be a different model entirely. But you see products and everything that's in Walmart, everything that's in Best Buy, Kroger, whatever stores you shop in, those are things where 
individual entrepreneurs like you and me, people running companies, they create their products, they manufacture it, and they sell wholesale to large retail outlets. This is how traditional business was conducted before the internet. It's how traditional business is still conducted. I'd want to say something like 90% of business is local retail. So there is massive money to be made in this. Just think about how big Walmart is. So the concept of retail is wholesaling to a larger big box distributor. And there's a lot of different ones. You could go through an actual distributor where someone else is going to be setting up the accounts. They'll be pitching Whole Foods. They'll be pitching uh, K. Well, I guess you wouldn't want to go for Kmart. They'll be pitching all the stores and national brands that you want to hit up. And you'd be selling your product to them. So let's say you have an incredible bike wheel and you want to start selling that to Dick's Sporting Goods. Well, typically, there's going to be some pros and there's going to be some cons. With Dick's, you're going to have a massive amount of people looking at your product. They're going to be coming in, checking it out, riding around on the bikes, and like, oh, I like this wheel. I'm going to grab me one of these. But there are some negative terms as well, because let's face it, these are the big boys, and that means they get more or less what they want. So wholesale pricing is typically is typically 50%, i.e., if the product's going to be sold for $100, you would wholesale it to the to the retailer for about $50. And that means if you're making it for $25 or you're making it for $10, i.e. your margins are going to be more or less cut in half of what it would be if you were selling on your own e-com store. Not quite cut in half. I guess it would be a little bit more complicated than that, possibly. The math gets a little bit complicated when I'm trying to talk and think about it. Either way, your margins are going to go way down. There's going to be some other restrictive terms as well, i.e. map, uh, not map, sorry, net 30 or net 60 pricing. So that's where a retailer is going to say, okay, we're going to buy 10,000 units from you. And yeah, your, your eyes are lighting up a little bit. Imagine 10,000 sales in a single freaking day. That would be nice. But there's a caveat. Net 30, net 60 pricing. So what that means is a retailer is like, well, we're going to buy this, but we don't want to necessarily take the risk for it. So can you give us 30 days to pay it back? So it might cost $10,000, $100,000, whatever it is to get that inventory produced. You've got to wait 30 to 60 days after the the retailer actually gets the product before you're getting paid. So there's a massive there's a massive time gap there and that's where some big cash flow problems come in is when you're selling to a lot of retailers and you're waiting on money to come in and having to hassle them a little bit. That can be a bit of a nightmare. But at the same time, think about the quantity, think about the bulk. If you're selling on an e-commerce store, typically you're selling one, maybe two, possibly even three at a time. Maybe more depending on the product. When you're selling to a retailer, you're wholesaling the product. Imagine selling a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand, a million units in a single order. Depending on if you're going national, if you're just going into a couple of local markets, you can significantly boost your sales and more or less have those assured with a single uh, a single supplier a single uh, not a single supplier a single a distribution network and that makes your life a lot easier in terms of growing and scaling if you have Walmart and you suddenly get some other big time brand you suddenly get Target on to also produce or to also sell your product bam you've suddenly doubled the size of your of your business you've doubled the profitability everything is Everything is running smooth. That said, these are also the big boys, so they play, uh, they play a little tough. One of them drops you and suddenly you lose half your business. 
So it can be uh it can be a bit nerve wracking as well. And typically they're gonna want the product to move more or less by itself. So when it's on the store shelves, they don't want to have to market it or anything. They want you to have customers excited about it, excited to come in and buy the product. So if you're not selling five, ten, twenty, thirty a day, a week, a month, whatever the whatever the minimum is, they're just gonna boot you and not reorder next time. And that can be a bit of a a bit of a heartbreaker too. So that's what you need to know about retail. There's another type of wholesaling though, and this would be wholesaling to e-commerce stores. So this this boils down to two different things. Either a similar situation where you're literally wholesaling to larger e-commerce stores. You're selling to them likely at 50% off with similar with similar situations, but they're selling primarily online for your product. So they may actually be competing against your own e-commerce store. Or drop shipping. Drop shipping would be where another another entrepreneur decides to set up a site selling your product but without holding physical inventory. That would be where okay, they're gonna sell your toe socks and they make the money, they buy the product off of you and you ship it to the customer. Personally, I've tried drop shipping myself as the drop shipper. I would not waste your time doing this. Your margins are gonna be lower, there's gonna be an extra hassle. And the, the sales won't really be that high unless they're a large proven company. So I would only look for ones that have very proven track records. I know a lot of people that get into drop shipping and I think it's a garbage business model, to be honest. And yeah, that's, that's more or less how I feel about that. And the last real route that you can look, well, there's two, there's two last routes. So the last primary route that inventors think about is licensing, patenting. So if you have a product that's really cool, there's some kind of technology behind it. It's new. It's innovative. This is something that you can get intellectual property for. You can potentially license or trade uh, or sell this off to other companies. So if you create the world's greatest running shoe, Nike's going to be pretty interested. Let's face it. We've had people on here from Art of the Kickstart. They've had interest from Nike. They've had interest from Google, Amazon, all the big boys. And that's about buying or acquiring the assets that they've created. And that can be kind of cool. Licensing, we've talked about it a bit more on the site, and you can find exact numbers there. But that looks, that looks more or less where you're giving the, you're given the sole rights to sell your product to XYZ company. So you've got your incredible shoe that Nike wants. Well, Nike, you can sell it. You can be the only one in the shoe market selling this. These are like the Air Jordans of today. Absolutely nuts. And you know what? For everyone you sell, I'm going to get 7%. And that can be pretty cool. That's how licensing works. You get a percentage of the of the sales and it's more or less recurring. It's more or less passive. You have to do nothing. And that's where it becomes cool. If you have to no longer run the business, you can get back into what you love, inventing and creating and have a nice, steady, no work income coming in. That's something that can be very sexy for inventors. The last real route to look at would be at an exit or an acquisition. These typically won't come directly after Kickstarter. Most companies aren't going to want to acquire you that early on, but you are able to potentially grow the business and then sell it off later. And even some companies will be interested in acquiring you right off the bat. Okay, here's what you've got. We'll do a a multiplier of your value, how much money you're bringing in with uh, taking into account your overhead, your track record, and we'll give you a, a 10x multiplier on your monthly earnings, 20x, 30x. Whatever the numbers are, I'm not positive on that. But exiting your company can be a great way to have a massive payoff and to get to do whatever you want. That is my goal with my current business. 
not out of the kickstart, not, not stuff I've talked about too much, but with the Amazon business, my goal is a seven figure exit at the end of year one. I talk about that a little bit more on the other podcast, fbalstars.com. But either way, acquisitions can be beautiful. You can also be acquired by a larger company and continue to run the brand. Suddenly someone pays you, your brand becomes acquired, you become part of Nike and you make a bunch of money and then you get to be part of Nike creating the products and kind of passion that you want to. That's cool as well. And I suppose the last route that we didn't really talk about, I totally should have talked about would be uh, be the Silicon Valley route, the VC funding route. And that's where you create something where investors are just drooling over it. Imagine uh, a Kevin O'Leary, the Shark Tank guy, and money's just dripping out of his mouth and he's salivating because he sees the opportunity. That's where you go the VC route. And I wouldn't recommend Shark Tank unless you can get on because it's, it's mainly about the national exposure. I guess the guys are pretty cool too, but you can find, you can find money many places. So VC, you could go to get money to quickly grow and expand your company. If an influx of a hundred thousand, a million, ten million dollars would take you from wherever you're at to a hundred X where you are, then VC could be potentially very powerful. This I would only look at for crowdfunders if you had some kind of high tech product, wearables, medical tech, possibly app related because software is the stuff that scales really well. That's the stuff that gets very high valuations. And after after running a Kickstarter campaign, that's a great way to show a proven track record, which is what VCs want to see. We've raised this much money, $350,000. We have a thousand backers. We clearly have proven demand for this. Now we want $10 million to help grow this and we'll give you 50% of the company. Or we want a million dollars and we'll give you 5% or however the numbers end up working out. It helps you get a better valuation. It helps you show traction and track record to get more money from investors and grow the business faster, bring on new employees, or potentially even exit without ever making money like an Instagram. Whatever it ends up being, those are those are more or less the, the five or six. You can choose however many numbers you want to consider it of business models that I would look at post Kickstarter. Think about all of these before you get started, though, because how you run your Kickstarter, how you run your business, all that stuff is going to be affected. And you really want to make sure that you're planning for the future before you're executing on the present. Because horses with blinders on more or less run in circles, right? So until next time, guys, thanks for tuning in. Hopefully this helps you with your business to make it boom, because that's more or less the goal, to absolutely crush it. Kickstarter and beyond, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Have an awesome day. And until next time, cheers. If you've got a crowdfunding campaign coming up and are planning on crushing it, then I have exciting news. The Art of the Kickstart Crowdfund Academy is going on a massive listener-only sale. I decided I want to make sure more crowdfunders get access to the information and the step-by-step guides that they need to crush it. So for a limited time, the first 100 Art of the Kickstart listeners are going to get the entire 43-video Crowdfund Academy the step-by-step detailed guide where I walk you through exactly what it takes to crush your Kickstarter or Indiegogo campaign for $67, originally $347. Artofthekickstart.com slash go. You can get the entire course, which will walk you through everything I do, everything that you need to know, and help you crush your campaign. Check it out. Artofthekickstart.com slash go. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart the show all about building a better business, world, and life with physical products. I'm your host, Matt Ward, and if you've enjoyed today's episode, 
should check out artofthekickstart.com. You can find access to all our past episodes, get our Kickstarter Crush It guide, and if you love the episode, be sure to leave us a review, artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes. It helps more inventors and entrepreneurs find the show and helps us get better guests on here to help you grow your business. Thanks for tuning in, and until next time, have a great and productive week. Go build something incredible.